You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Own the Build with me, Paul Hemming. Today, what a day. I welcome back to the show for the first time since episode 36 when I was a young man. <laughs> a whole 21 weeks ago. To uh, I'm really pleased to welcome back Piragash, founder of Totem Finance. Where have you been all of my life, Piragash? <laughs> I've always been a call away, it's just you're never calling me, Paul. You don't call, you don't ring, <laughs> you don't visit. <laughs> That's, that's not you true. That's not true. I'm always, yeah, you know, I'm trying to get hold of you. How's everything, mate? It's good. It's good. Um, I think, you know, for everyone, I think 2022 has started really, really quickly. I think um, the markets have generally been hugely positive to what's happened. And, the, you know, it seems like we're seeing the back of the pandemic. Actually, as we speak, the government's talking about removing all the rules. and It's very much like flu. Um, so, you know, with, with one set of problems moving away, there's always new ones, of course, uh, countries uh, invading others. But uh, but I think in terms of the property world and finance, it's uh, I think it's a really, really interesting time to, to, to be about. And the big question for 2022, which I wanted to ask is, it appears that you didn't get the memo about facial hair, because in 2021, I spent the back end of it curating the most glorious of beards which went over the christmas period it appears that you've started growing a beard quite a quite a nice one there with some silver tinges to it i like it oh absolutely uh, i've decided uh, if you're gonna look old and fat you might as well do it well <laughs> well i'm liking the beard mate i'm liking the beard so <laughs> for all of the listeners especially the new listeners it's obviously been five six months since you were on the show just remind us a little bit about you and what you're doing in property. Sure. Um, thank you. Uh, so, so Totem Finance uh, is my company. Uh, I set it up in uh, 2015 and my background before that was very much kind of corporate banking, uh, structured finance. Wherever there was an element of kind of construction or an asset that incurred an income, uh, that, that's sort of the, the sort of things that I used to get involved with. Um, I've done over sort of 15 billion pounds worth of uh, kind of debt structures and restructuring. Just a little bit then. Just just a little bit. Um, but then now we've sort of repositioned, you know, Totem is very much there for the SME developer, uh, the SME property investor. I love working with these sorts of people because really this is their lifeblood. This is not just... Um, you know, managing on the board, but this is this is the the thing that impacts their lives, and that's what we really enjoy. But but in terms of totem, what we try very much to do is to focus on the risk aspects, not in a bad way, but to make sure that whenever um, an investor or developer is entering into a transaction, that they are considering all the risk and that the risk adjusted returns are appropriate. Um, and that's you know, I really really enjoy working in this space. Excellent and. I've been asking a question to all of our new guests, which I never asked you because I was—I just wasn't asking this question at that time. <laughs> but I'm actually—I'm actually interested to ask you, right? So, what is the one common myth about your profession that you want to debunk? What is not true about what you do? 
that people think is? Well, you know, I would say the the biggest myth is that when a client calls me and says, this is a deal that I put the phone down, instantly got on the internet, fill in, you know, tip tapping away, press enter, and then a stream of lenders appear out of nowhere. And I simply give that to the developer. And, and the extent of my work is, is uh, how, how fast I can type on a keyboard. I think that's the biggest myth. So people think that what is the process? What are you doing that's different? I think in, in very much the same way that um, when you when an individual can think of going into their branch and speaking to their bank and saying, I would like this loan, and there's a flurry of questions come up, that's what we're constantly doing. You know, we're, we're, we're curating the information that's presented to present it in the best way, but also to then double check what lenders are saying to really make sure that we're going to spend time with the right lenders. And beyond that, again, is beyond just the transaction, the thing that really excites me is when when SME developers and investors start thinking strategically about their funding choices. That That is to say, decision they're making today impacts how they're going to be able to fund in year two, three, four, and five. So in short, you're debunking the fact that you don't have an easy life. You don't just tap away a few buttons and then it's all done. <laughs> there's, there is some there is some skill to what you do. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Surprisingly, yes. I'm blown away by that. You know, like I said, I've asked many people, but that one, <laughs> that there's some skill in what Pirigash does. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So today we're going to talk about a couple of things, really. I mean, the title of this episode is bizarrely Return of the Swamp Thing. Now... That's because episode 36 was called The Swamp Thing, Is He Real? Again, for most people that listen to this show, they'll realise that I pick the title of, of episode names and they're all quite corporate and bland, some people might say. But when Piragash is in town, he says The Return of the Swamp Thing. So remind me again, Return of the Swamp Thing? What, what was the logic? So, you know, like you say, back in episode 37, we, we were scratching around for what are the things that are going to be impacting investors, developers, uh, people listening to the show over the next 12 to 18 months. And, and we decided that the sort of ecological, social governance perspective was something that was just, to be honest, it was like an ember, you know, a spark we could see in the markets. And, and that's what we were talking about. And, and one of the great things about our discussion today is, how that's really grown and you know it's still a small part of the market but there's definite momentum that's spot on but return of the swamp thing just remind me straight over my head that is oh you you mean in relation to the cartoon character yeah re- remind me what it's about what the it used well there was this used to be this cartoon character back in oh i can't remember like then 80s when, when they were really good cartoons because yeah. clearly good cartoons don't exist anymore now they're rubbish um and it was about this uh swamp character that would sort of protect the kind of area around and the ecological stuff around him and right okay finally the penny drops 21 weeks later i'm, <laughs> I'm with him well today is the return of the swamp thing and we're going to talk about kind of 2022 and how you see it playing out and what what I was interested to talk to you about, having spoken to another 20 people in the weeks since we last spoke, I can see for sure that ESG is developing um, and it has moved on since our conversation when it was in its, not its infancy, but it was first starting to, you were starting to hear that soundbite in, in property. So 
full clarity for foundation, remind us what is ESG again? ESG is, um, uh, to be honest, it, it probably pulls in a lot of separate uh, topics, but it, it is where the environment, social aspects and the governance aspects of um, whether it's investing, whether it's um, about how a corporate, the, the ethics by which uh, a corporate kind of exists or continues to invest. I mean, it, it's sort of it's a wraparound phrase for anything to do with that. Actually, there, there, there are a multitude of different things that it could contain, but it seems to be, you know, we're, we're in the backdrop of uh, climate change. COP26, etc. yeah. Absolutely, COP26, you know, uh, equality amongst uh, employees, where, who, what and when gets access to funding, um, and then the general social governance in terms of how how things are done. So, so ESG is really, I think, it's the culmination of a multitude of different factors where today um, huge amounts of asset allocation is being provided. I mean, that's when we get down to what it is that we want to talk about is that it's come from a, an idea of wouldn't it be great to get involved in, in something that's more environmental? You know, 10 years ago, the question was, well, that sounds How do we make nice. The best, most money. It, well, exactly right. But, but it, it was almost like, well, I'll invest in this even if I get a lower return. That's fine. Whereas, actually, the interesting statistics have shown that over the last, you know, five years and like, statistics, damn statistics, but over a period of time, it can be shown that the return on ESG-related investments are actually higher than traditional, uh, which is. You know, may not be consistent forever, but certainly over a short time period, it's been found to be true. And what we had concluded, if I am remembering correctly, in that conversation, was that from time to time, opportunities present themselves to property developers specifically to kind of not necessarily pivot, but to identify moments in time where there is an opportunity and grasp it. And at, we had concluded back in September, I think it was, that ESG, in that moment, there was new funding opportunities coming through. There was opportunities in planning where if you had those things in your scheme, you could get ahead. Now, we went away from that feeling fantastic and brilliant thinking, oh, we've, we've solved it. Hopefully that will, that will really resonate with people. And at the start of this year, I sat down with uh, Martin Prince Parrot, who is architecture, sustainably led, architecturally led property developer. Fascinating guy, really interesting to talk to. And in that conversation, made me think, I've got to speak to Piragash again and get your view on things. He said to me that there is now like a significant relationship between Octopus and Homes England. And that relationship was built on the foundations of ESG being critical. Do you know much about what is going on there? As in specifically with uh, with Octopus, um, you know th what they've done is they've come about, and because of the relationship with Homes England, again. So what's interesting about Homes England is here is government stepping in and saying, well, actually, if you're going to start moving the dial in terms of what is being produced, then we will support and. What's I think been the, the massive game changer is that 
we're not, you know, previous to that, we'd been talking about, you know, sort of a little bit of a cashback or or something like that on a, on a deal. But here was a major real estate investor and the government basically saying that for the right type of deal, you know, your funding costs could come down to four point, uh, I forget the exact number, whether it's 4.625 or 4.25, you know, which is a phenomenally cheap form of funding for... For the ignorant S- here. For the SME developer, you know, it's... But, sorry, yeah. But for the ignorant, so you're saying it's Octopus will give you 4.6% lending if you're in this bracket of ESG, if you're doing that kind of a development. What does it look like if you... If you're not. Yeah. What What, what is yeah, that it's, discount? It, 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 it's probably 2%. You know, okay. when you're looking at it, that's like a 33% Not bad at all, is it? In, it's, it's massive, right? And And... You know, and then of course there's the fact that beyond that, as a normal SME, you, you, your actual rates may be closer to eight, nine, ten, eleven if you're not uh, funding through this scheme. I think there are interesting aspects to talk about here. Number one is the fact that um, the approach to this has been using an EPC uh, perspective. Now, I think uh, I can understand why why that is, and I think it, it's easier for developers to achieve that because it is a standard that has been set i think the challenge for the market as a whole is to say are we sure we want to stick our masks to epc which is energy performance certificate right exactly yeah exactly energy performance certificate so the good things about it are that there is a form of evaluation that exists there is a template that exists etc but talking to other technical um experts you know they've kind of said for example, if you discount solar um, and maybe things like ground source heat pumps and then you incorporate more insulation and good materials, slightly less sexy, let's be honest, actually you can end up with an EPC that doesn't achieve A, even though the the, the carbon impact perhaps is 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 just as good so look this i'm not here to i'm not smart enough to understand you know which technicals we we should be using but just in in discussing this point you know i'm sure that there are a lot of technical people at home listen to this podcast and there are probably engineers and architects and all sorts who are pulling their hair why the epc why the epc exactly right but this is this is perhaps the beginning of the evolution, right? Absolutely, so the, absolutely. So the rev, the revolution is ESG, and people are willing to stick their flag to it. Octopus are willing to stick their flag to it. Homes England are willing to stick their flag to it. Everyone is. Uh, and I should and I should also it. mention that you've got other parties now that are getting more and more involved with ESG. I know there's a couple of debt funds. Ingenious is one of them that uh, consciously look to understand the ESG perspectives at all time. And at the same time, you've got lenders like Atelier Capital Partners, ACP, which have also got a very similar approach, but they're looking at it from a carbon perspective in order to try and uh, get get that discount. But so the point that, is, is, sorry. They wouldn't be looking at the EPC as their metric then, if they're no. looking at carbon. Okay. No, no, yeah, so they're, yeah, they're, they're, there are all these other... Metric. Yeah. And then it's all about, you know, for the SME developer, I think, you know, what's the big takeaway? You, I, I've taken the words out of your mouth because I know you're going to say, what's the big takeaway? And the big takeaway is <laughs> that they should oh, be that think- readable. Yeah. <laughs> the, the SME developers should really be thinking about this, not for, for a number of reasons. Number one, bottom line, 
genuinely thinking about the environment, thinking about EPC, I think makes massive difference to the bottom line, both in terms of your interest costs, which I think is interesting, maybe in terms of your equity costs, if you're thinking about bringing equity partners on, but also in terms of saleability. You know, what is the consumer saying? You know, because the big, the big debate is, as of today, no one pays higher for their house because the EPC is B versus A. But is that going to change? You know, yeah, that's, well, uh, that's the bit. Well, that's we had, um, gosh, struggling to keep up with the names now, but we had Ben Channon from Ekist, who, uh, again, very sustainable-led business and developer. And he pulled out a stat, and I'm probably going to misquote it, so this is going to be a disaster. But it was something along the lines of 60% of first-time buyers are willing to pay more for a sustainable home. Right? <laughs> it's, def- it's definitely not 60%, is it? But it's something like, it's something significant, which basically you, you, shows you the intent of the market is yes. they will pay more. So what's Stop interesting, laughing. No, no, the, the reason why I was laughing is, of course, of that 60%, the reason why they've said that is 55% of the 60% don't believe they'll ever buy a home anyway, right? Yeah, so all right. Said, yeah, I'll happily buy it, spend more... You I know, can't afford it, so yeah, yeah, pump, <laughs> yeah. pump it up another one percent. Who cares? Thank you, man. Indeed, you know. So, I mean, this is it. Just highlights the complexity of this this area. And um, the the one thing I would say, and the one reason I'm really happy that that Homes England are starting to support SME developers is, you know, I imagine that people like Persimmon Homes, Barrett Homes, Galliard Homes can afford to take punts on schemes, but often for an SME, you know, they're they're all in. This site is is their livelihood. It's their savings. It's maybe their families and friends' savings that have gone into this site, and they can't afford for the rug to be pulled underneath them. So I implore you know anyone from government regulations that that are getting involved in this area to to try and give SME developers that certainty because I think certainty breeds. Um, then ingenuity in terms of what SMEs can do. Well, we are going to have the chief architect for the government on here in the next two to three in the next two months so i will have a word with her for you are you, you going to ask her about summer parties and stuff like that as well or? yeah I, I mentioned it to her on the phone and she chuckled but she did also t- she did also tell me that and i know this to be a fact that she only joined in november 2021 so she is innocent and on that note Pirigash, let's go to the break mate Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded Sealink with my best mate, Chris. Chris and I, we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you or someone you know tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, 
let's get right back to the show. So you were last here five, six months ago, as we have established. I've moved in terms of room. What do you think of my new florally background? Any comments? You think it's an upgrade, downgrade? I think I think noticed. I think like like all art, isn't it? It's all about perspective, and as long as it makes you happy, mate. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're moving on. <laughs> just can't, just cannot win with this man. Where were we? Right. So we talked about ESG. Let's let's wrap this up, shall we? If you're going to be like that, we talked about ESG. I want to talk about 2022 and kind of where it's headed. You talked about the thing that you enjoy most with your SME clients is identifying risks as part of a project package development appraisal. What risks do you see macro, if you like, for 2022 with what's going on? The one thing I would say is that typically, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, um, but I do like to look back in the past and, you know, what has been the one constant is change. And changes come across not gradually, but fiercely and unpredictably, you know, whether that's Brexit, whether that's the pandemic, et cetera. And what are the things that I'm seeing right now? Inflation. You know, the, I mean, how many of us now have become semi-economists, you know, <laughs> reading the press? It's all we ever hear, you know. There's, yeah. but, I, but, I, but, I, but I thought there were some really interesting st- statistics, which is that there's government statistics on inflation, which is, which is maybe, I think the last I saw was around 5.5%. Yeah, the highest and, in... 30 years isn't it absolutely but but the the inflation that the kitchen table inflation is is really interesting here you know where pasta's gone up by 40 percent you know my, my favorite well, little, that's a nightmare in my house <laughs> the, the italian missus loves a bit of pasta well there you go right so um that's where all the know, money's going well i think what what's what's important to to see is beyond the headlines so you know Five and a half there, but but there's a very unique basket. And actually, the wider economy, people are debating whether that's closer to 10%. Now, when costs are rising so high, what is that saying for our SME developers? You know, because one of the trickiest things for anybody that thinks, and not necessarily the people that are listening at home right now, but I imagine the average individual, if you were to speak to industry, what do you think about property developer? They would say, oh, you know, fat. Uh, rich you know like well this is this is this is is actually so when i asked uh, a a property developer a few weeks ago lovely chap jack what is the common misconception about property developers he said everyone thinks we're greedy greedy burgers and it's not true and i said that is true that's exactly what you've just described exactly right? right and and but, but of course, one of the hardest skills that a developer has to do is they do have to have that crystal ball because they buy a site based on this residual value which incorporates things like the construction methodology, what's in the ground, what's in the air, what's in the building. They have to project almost what they think is going to happen to wages of the labor force they're going to have to project what happens to timber prices steel prices concrete prices all of these things you know i mean if you go and speak to a trader a financial trader and say one index you just bet how often will you be absolutely right they'll say you know there's absolutely no way but here we are a developer having to guess all of these things at the same time and then 
of course, what's going to happen to the eventual house price and, and how, how that's all going to interplay. And of course, the big thing that we've seen over the last two or three months, I'm getting excited. The guys at home aren't. The big things that we've seen is interest rates. You know, that perennially, you know, if we were a heartbeat, interest rates have been flat, right? We've been dead for the last four or five years. And now suddenly the Bank of England have gone, Oh my word, you know, we can't actually survive as a as a as a nation to to have inflation consistently go up because people are going to stop spending and if we stop if we stop the music that's going to be a problem. So, interest rates are subject, but of course interest rates have an incredible relationship with with property prices. Our ability to borrow is directly linked often to 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 interest rates and therefore will that be the thing that levers down. So, just why are you back. excited about it? Why, what, I'm excited I mean, about it, not because I'm like, yes, you know, my bank, my my savings account is now going to be 0.25 percent. <laughs> no, hour. I'm not suggesting <laughs> that you're now thinking, crikey, I'm going to cash in. Um, it's not so much excitement, but it's it it's, seems it's like that, excitement, Piragash. Really, you're on uh, the edge of your seat uh, here. It's, mate. it's not it's beaming not smile. It's, it's that. I get excited when when things are changing so rapidly that we've got to think about it because you know the last honestly the last four or five years I've not had to talk about reference rates and LIBOR and Sonia and all of these things because really we can all kind of assume that over the eighteen month uh, window for a developer nothing's going to happen it's, it's fairly right but now suddenly it's impacting not just the developers' costs but it's impacting the wider economy and the the real reason why. I raise it is even the Bank of England doesn't actually know what the impact of making these changes is going to be. And and that's what, and so whenever you're in that level of uncertainty, I get excited because actually I think I can start adding value in terms of how do we navigate? How do we think about this? You know, I've been, I've been in plenty of rooms where people have said, and by the way, you know, we're not going to talk about interest rates today. It's so boring. But um, here we are talking but, about it. The return of I the swamp mind. thing well, yeah. forward slash <laughs> I, interest rates. I, I don't mind because this is the thing that this is the lifeblood, you know, of, of money, interest rates, how we're going to. And it impacts so many other things in terms of investment yields and and all sorts of stuff like that. So, and, so and, inflation is one. Interest rates is two. Sorry, I cut you off. And so inflation and interest rates go hand in hand right so we've got this incredible 30-year inflation and the bank of england as a way of stemming the issue is going to increase interest rates right that's the the logic that then represents does it represent a risk or an opportunity or, or both actually because you kind of identified a bit of a risk there for the developer in that interest rates go up a mortgage is more expensive for a first-time buyer and whoever else and therefore, it then gets even more unaffordable, right, to to buy a house. So then, does that bring down house prices? Does it also increase the cost of lending for yes, it, um, It's an interesting point. Uh, so your traditional bank, yes, it would increase the cost of lending, um, and so they naturally have to increase the their reference rate, whether it's you know, Sonia or Bank of England base rate in, in line. So in the end, it's, it's the borrower that pays. But also, um, even for, for people like, if you can imagine something like peer-to-peer, uh, typically people are able to borrow between 6% and 12% using peer-to-peer. But in an environment where interest rates are continuing to rise, technically, if I was an investor, I would say, 
well, I don't want six percent anymore because one percent I, I could get from the bank. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, and because it's retail and because it's peer to peer, I'm not sure it will follow through exactly like that quickly, but it will eventually um, have an impact. Well, this is and why I, it's really interesting to chat with you because someone had—I can't remember who it was now—you know, having so many different conversations with developers or whoever else, and someone had mentioned construction costs and inflation is out of control which yeah it is fine talked about that until the cows come home to be honest with you but they had also mentioned that yes the build costs have gone up but the cost of money right now is cheap and that represents an opportunity in finance but you're potentially talking about a risk where that starts to balance out so um i think for those with long memories you know you could always look at the macro environment and go well money is still relatively cheap and they're not wrong but of course the issue is that we all become very leveraged very very quickly so you know pre-2010 or 2008 perhaps where we were used to if you can think base rates being between four and five percent right and then the margin on top but as soon as interest rates go down to zero, what happens? Well, we can all afford more. So house prices move as a result of that. We're borrowing as much of that as possible. So although they're right, relatively, it's still cheap, only for those that use a lot more equity versus debt. And so, you know, one of the other things we've talked about, I think on, on our very first podcast was that balance between debt and equity and whether whether that becomes something that you consider more. You know, if you're if you're going to be thinking about for the next five years now, either you would think about fixing maybe your long-term interest rate costs or because of the perhaps some of the risks associated with things, you still want to bring your business forward, you would maybe look to plug in more equity. So you've got someone sat alongside you that's going to absorb the same level of risk that you are versus maybe leveraging up to that 90% loan to cost type situation and that that is always an opportunity uh, okay so there's both risks and opportunities in 2022 how I'm not asking you to get a crystal ball out but how how are you advising your clients now what are you saying to them we have to be mindful of this or we have to take that as an opportunity I think I think the first thing to, to, to say that you know at Totem we, we try and be is is humble in the facts in, in the fact that you know I have huge admiration for developers that constantly go out there and take this risk. You know I appreciate the risk and so, and, I, and I often will start with I see this risk, but you may consider it a non-point. Nothing. And, yeah, and, yeah and, and I humbly... Give us an example. You know, Has that ever happened where you thought, God, that's a big problem, and they just think, nah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it could be something like build cost. It could be something like taking on a contractor um, that maybe doesn't have a balance sheet or uh, taking, you know, switching from, um, you know, the old star methodology to something that you guys promote, you know, in terms of construction management, right? That kind of shift. You've not done it before, but yeah, you know, let's just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I might sit there and go, whoa, hang on a second. You've not done this before. You you know, do you need a project manager to come in and do this? Do you need to, you know, in order to manage the risks? And they're sort of, you know, they, they'll sometimes go, no, it's all right. Don't, it's not even a risk. Don't worry about it. Like we're, we're using C-Link. It's fine. You know, we'll, 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 oh, we'll, he's done it. He's managed <laughs> to squeeze it in. We'll, 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 we'll promote ourselves, you know, however we need. So, 
So that that is an example. I mean, to come back to the things that we're seeing at the moment, one of the um, innovations that's, that's currently happening in the finance market is this kind of sales guarantee product that that's out there. So this is where, you know, two or three providers in the market now are saying, look, we'll provide you some equity day one, and we will also guarantee no matter what happens, you know, we find out the earth is flat, you know, whatever it is that happens in the world, we will still, <laughs> we will still buy all of these units that you produced at a discount. So that typically it's around 80% of the market value. Now, for some people, the view is, well, it's never going to go down by more than 20%. I don't need this. But for other people, it's it's sort of saying, well, if that's a form of equity anyway, and if the worst happens, because the thing about risk is not whether you're proved right about whether something happens or not. So, for example, interest rates go up so far that the house prices collapse by 17%, and then you can turn around to me and go, ah, I told you. It was, if it was, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to do that again, though, would you? <laughs> but managing risk is actually being able to say, you know what, it's actually, I was wrong, and it's gone down to 21, 23, 24, 25, but I always had a plan. That's managing risk. Are those products, those sales guarantee products, you say that they're new to the market. Is that because the prices have gone up so much that there is now a concern that there is going to be some kind of property shock? So I gain confidence from the fact that there are at least three market entrants that will confidently buy a property off you, even if the markets collapse by 30 or 40%. For me, that gives me confidence because what that tells me is Long-term they believe in confidence. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Is that, you know, there could be a moment here, there could be a moment there. But also, in reality, I don't think their business model would completely work if they truly believed that consistently we would be at 80% of market value. So, so that in of itself also gives me that. And it goes back to the point about not needing to predict accurately. It's just knowing what you would do if, if something happened. Absolutely excellent, as always. And Piragash, I have one final question for you. If you could have been me interviewing you today, what would you have asked yourself that I haven't asked you? One of the areas that I think um, is is always something, and I'm not sure what, what I, how I would answer this, but it's are we now reaching the tipping point as interest rates potentially are starting to rise where this becomes the moment when we get an uncoupling of home ownership in the UK. That that's that's the bit and, and the impact of that. I think that's going to be an interesting environment because the government today has put in things like help to buy. It's been phenomenally good for house builders, both SME and large. Um, could the can the government continue to subsidise home ownership in the same way when the government's ploughed so much funds? into supporting uh you know the pandemic etc and at a time when interest rates are potentially going up and if we've got nothing else do we almost go okay you know for some people it is all about being consumer and renting just the most unbelievable asset and what that means for developers um crikey there is you know what you said you haven't got a crystal ball there are so many different moving parts aren't there it's, it's impossible to obviously forecast anything whatsoever but i will say this in headline six months ago when we sat down 
and we talked about ESG, we said this is something that people really should look at. We're at the beginning of the curve because you are that's where you are as a man, Piragash. You're always ahead of the game. And today, you could be saving yourself 33% in terms of interest rates in, in some cases. So clearly, we're on something. That's straight out of the horse's mouth from Own the Build. There's more gems to come. And whenever Piragash is here, it's it's amazing. Thanks so much for coming back on the show, mate. And thank you. you can rest assured I will be calling you up again. Well, I might double it next time. 20 weeks was a bit too short, so I might see you in 40 weeks. But, you know, I promise you I'll, I'll see you again, mate. But I'm not going to call you for a few months now. <laughs> Thanks, Paul, as always. Always a pleasure, mate. And I will be leaving Pirigash's uh, details in the podcast description. See you later, Pirigash. Have a good one, mate. Cheers.